to turn to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13. Last week we took a break from the book of Acts. We walked through first, uh, it's not first and second, but we walked through the first two chapters of Ephesians briefly. And at the end of chapter 2, I guess about midway through chapter 2, we saw that God had created good works ahead of time so that we would walk in them. And I want to... Make sure that you have that in the back of your mind when we cover Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 4. Because there's going to be some things that come up on the horizon that the apostles are going to have to deal with. And I want you to see uh, that this is something that God had uh, God had brought them to, wanted them to see success in. And then we're going to talk about uh, a couple different variances about why things happen the way they do sometimes in life. And so it's going to hopefully make perfect sense. I've got uh, someone in our congregation is going to share uh, a brief testimony that is really going to illustrate this point perfectly. And so let's pray together, and then we'll jump into Acts chapter 13. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray uh, exactly as the choir saying that, Lord, every uh, day that we have on this earth, that we would see it as being given from you. Lord, I pray that we would do great and mighty things in your name that only you could take credit for. And Lord, I pray right now that you would feed your people. And Lord, I pray that you would use me to do that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in Acts chapter 13. We're in verse 4. And the apostles have been spreading the gospel all throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And they're going to the uttermost parts of the earth. The church in Antioch has been started. This is the first of the Gentile churches. And the church in Antioch has not only been started, but they're ministering to the Lord. They're fasting. And the Holy Spirit has spoken to their church. And the Holy Spirit wants them to set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that the Lord has for them. So Paul and Barnabas uh, are set apart and they leave. And we pick up in verse 4. And it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God God, in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, You are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So I'm going to kind of sum up what's going on here for you. The church at Antioch has been ministering to the Lord. They've been praying and fasting. The Holy Spirit has said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas are set apart and they leave to go on a missionary journey. John, Barnabas's cousin, goes with him. This is John Mark, one of the apostles. And so the three of them are going to go out where the Lord sends them. Well, they sail to the island of Crete. 
Okay. And now they're on the island. The island is about a hundred miles wide. And they, so they go down to the, the city where they're on the mainland. They go to the city. They set sail to Crete. They land on one side of the island and they work their way across the whole island, sharing the gospel with anybody who will listen. The Bible says that they start out by going to the Jewish synagogues and then they're going to go to the Gentiles also. And so all of this makes perfect sense, right? Jesus Christ was a Jew. He came first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. If you want to see a gospel movement take, take place and you're Paul and Barnabas, the people you should be going to already have a background in there's going to be a Messiah that comes to save the world, right? And so it makes sense that you would first go to people who have a background and a history of understanding that Jesus is the Messiah. Everybody give me a head nod. All right. And so they're going to all of these places and the governor of the island finds out that these two people are on hand. It says that this is an intelligent man. And so this man, we're going to call him a governor, not a proconsul. So this governor, Roman governor, sends for Paul and Barnabas, wants to talk to him. This Roman governor, however, has a magician, a magi, or uh, someone who is also a false prophet of Judaism, that's someone who's attached himself to him and, and maybe is working for him, but maybe he's just nestled up real close to him so that he can feel important. You following me? And so this governor has this false prophet Jewish man that's working for him. The governor wants to hear straight from Paul and Barnabas, so he sends for him. Somehow Paul and Barnabas have interaction with this Jewish false prophet. So this is the scene. The governor wants to hear what Paul and Barnabas have to say. Paul and Barnabas want to share about eternal life that can only be found in Jesus Christ. But there's a false prophet who has a place of honor and is lying to the man who's the governor. False prophets all throughout Israel's history, generally speaking, tell the people that they work for whatever they want to hear. That's what makes you a good false prophet. Doesn't matter what it says. What matters is that you know that everything's going to be okay, right? Everybody following me? All right, good. So Paul and Barnabas come on the scene. They want to get to the governor, but this false prophet is standing in their way. And listen to what they say. He says, you are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight way of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And so it seems that Paul and Barnabas are being put off by this guy, but Paul and Barnabas don't give up. They make their way to the governor, and now all of them are kind of in the same area where they can see each other. The false prophet is still trying to say, don't listen to these guys, get rid of them. Paul and Barnabas give this magician the business and says, now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you'll be blind and not see the sun for a time. And then listen to what happens. Immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. And so this false prophet, this magi, he's trying to keep this governor from having spiritual eyes to see what Paul and Barnabas are saying. Paul and Barnabas know what's going on, and they make this man physically blind the same way that this man is trying to keep the governor spiritually blind. You following what's going on here? And then it says the governor, or the proconsul, when he saw what had happened, he was amazed. Excuse me. He believed when he saw what had happened, and being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. And so I want you to see what's going on in this governor's life. 
he's he believes because of what he sees and then he's amazed at the teaching that paul and barnabas give him about the lord and so it's not the miracle that draws him in and keeps him it's the miracle that gives affirmation to being amazed about what paul and barnabas are teaching him and we've said all along that that's the purpose of all of these miracles in the new testament is they give affirmation to what's being taught and you may think well wow you know if if i was there I would be more amazed that the governor went blind and couldn't see than I would about what Paul and Barnabas were teaching, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't you think that? Like if I'm standing up here today and I just preach a normal sermon, right? And then next week I come up here and I make a man blind and he can't see, which one would you be amazed at? The second one. Okay, come on. The second one. You'd be like, wow, that's amazing. The reason is, is because we have, as Americans, as cultural Christianity, we've become numb to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. We've lost sight that we are spiritually dead without Jesus, and the only hope that any individual has in this life is through Jesus Christ. And so here is this governor who's lost. He lives in an island called Crete, and this is just a horrible, sexually driven culture. They're all worshiping the goddess of love, Aphrodite, and they're worshiping her through all sorts of despicable sexual acts. And all of that mirrors our American culture perfectly. And none of that is satisfying the governor. None of that meets that desire that his soul has for comfort and peace. So he's experienced everything the world has to offer. He's still hollow inside. And he's amazed that Paul and Barnabas show up with this story. Or we would say with this worldview. They show up with the gospel. And it makes the world make sense to this governor. And it fills that void that is in his heart. That nothing else in this world can, can find. And so he's amazed at the teaching. Because it makes the rest of the world make sense in his soul. And it just so happens that the fact that they can make that man blind, that just gives testimony to what they're saying is true. And so why don't we just walk up to everybody who is standing in our way and go, you son of the devil, right? Why don't we do the same thing that Paul and Barnabas did? Well, Paul and Barnabas are walking in the spirit, right? Everything they're doing is in obedience to what God is saying. And so I want to share with you three things that kind of make the world around you make sense. Right? Everybody's had strange things happen to them, right? When I say strange things, you're going somewhere. Let's use this illustration. You're going somewhere and you get a flat tire. Everybody done that before? Everybody got some sort of flat tire? When you do, go see Mary Rose, right? She'll fix you up. That's just a, just a, just a little nudge. Anyways, everybody's got a flat tire. There's, there's three reasons in all of life that you'll get a flat tire. You following me? You ready to hear them? Three reasons. Only three reasons that your tire will go flat. Number one is that we live in a fallen world. And it may just be that your tire is dry rotted, over inflated, under inflated. You run over a nail, right? There are accidents that happen and that is one reason that you could get a flat tire. Accidents happen, sin stricken world, bad things happen. It's just normal. That's life. You run over nails. If you're like me, you run over a lot of nails. If you're like me, you get smart and you pay your kids for every nail in the yard they pick up because it's cheaper than replacing tires, right? Nails go for about 50 cents a piece at my house, but you got to find them in the yard. You can't just pick them up in the street and bring them home. You have to find them in our yard. It's a pretty good price. Anyways, 
You live in a sin-stricken world, bad things happen out of our control. Second reason that you may get a flat tire, somewhat like this right here, this story. Sometimes a demon gave you a flat tire. Sometimes Satan wants to get in the middle of what you're doing and he wants to reroute you and he gives you a flat tire to keep you from whatever it is that you are going to be doing good. Paul and Barnabas on a missionary journey, they would need to go see the governor. Satan sends somebody to get in their way so that they can't get to the governor. So sometimes we live in a sin-stricken world and accidents happen. Sometimes it's because the demonic world is out to prevent you from doing whatever it is that you want to do. Here's the other reason that you may get a flat tire. You may get a flat tire because God wants to reroute your life because he has good works prepared for you and he wants you to walk in them. So you following me? This, this is supposed to help you. I don't want it to confuse you. You may get a flat tire because that's the world we live in and bad things happen. You make it a flat tire because Satan wants to put a roadblock in the way of whatever you're going to do. You make it a flat tire because God wants to reroute you and he brings something that seems like an inconvenience so that something great can happen in your life. I heard a story this week that was fabulous from uh, Dr. Tarkington's grandson, Chad. And I've asked Chad to come share that story with you. And he's going to share the story with you. And at the end of it, I want to uh, give a few brief comments and then I'll wrap us up. So, Chad, you come on, up, come on up here and share the story. While he's coming up here, I'll give you just a little bit of background. Chad's staying here in Bertie County with us while his wife is deployed overseas with the Air Force. And he just went, got a chance to see her uh, for two weeks. He got back uh, on Wednesday, I believe. And uh, this is a story about him trying to get to see his wife, who he hadn't seen for about six months. So, Chad... I think this is on. Am I good? Morning. Uh, I wish this is almost like a cartoon and I could pull an x-ray up and you guys could see my heart because it's doing this right now. So please forgive me if I step away from the mic and make mistakes. Um, as Bobby said, uh, my wife's been, uh, she's not deployed, but she's been in Turkey for four months and I got to see her for the first time two weeks ago. And um, that brings a lot of emotion to mind, so I'm going to kind of push that to the side, and I'm going to focus on what Bobby asked me to talk to you about. Um, God moved mightily in 24 hours in my life, more than I, he probably has in what I've noticed in the 31 years I've been alive. It was amazing, and it was terrifying. I like control, and I like to be the one in control, as I'm sure some of you understand. Um, Whenever I went to go get my ticket at the airport to go to New York to go to Frankfurt, Germany, I went to the little computer and it said, scan your passport, here's your ticket. Well, it didn't give me my ticket. It said, go see the attendant. And when I walked up to the attendant, she says, sweetheart, you can't go to Germany. And my mouth kind of dropped and said, well, why? What's going on? She looked at me. She says, your passport is not good for long enough. So side note, if you're going overseas anywhere, make sure your passport's good for at least six months. Personally, it's going to be a year from now on because I'm not going to deal with this again. But she said, I can only connect you with the main passport office and you got to talk to them. I can't do anything for you because essentially if you go over to Germany with this passport, they won't let you in. They will turn you around and send you back home. 
So I call, well, let me back up a little bit. Before I'm able to talk to the attendant, I'm standing in line, and I see a man, probably in his 40s, he's wearing a real nice jacket. And I was just trying to have small talk and tell him, sir, you got a nice jacket, where'd you get that jacket from? And we start talking, I tell him where I'm going, he tells me what's happening while he's waiting in line to talk to the attendant. And um, he ends up waiting for about 15, 20 minutes, and that's important to the story. And I'll tell you why in a second. I get on the phone with the passport office. I talk to them. They say, well, you have to go to a passport office in person. And there's not one in every city. There's one in Atlanta. There's one in New York. There's one in D.C. And then we've got a few others around the country. I said, well, man, I'm at an airport already. I can probably get to one of those. I talked to the young lady. She ends up telling me and scheduling an appointment for the next morning, Wednesday at 8 a.m. in Atlanta. I'm in Raleigh at 12 or 12 in the afternoon on Tuesday, and I don't like flying. I'm already stressed enough, and so this is just a wonderful addition to that. Well, when um, she sets up my appointment, I go talk to the flight attendant, and she says, we can get you to Atlanta. I'm like, wonderful, and we can get you there tonight. And she turns to me, and she says, it's going to be $12.82. I said, $12.82? Yeah, exactly. Y'all know where this is going. She kind of smiled a little bit. She said, no, honey, $1,282. Woo. Yeah, excuse me. I'm not very proper. Anyway, that gentleman that I that had the nice jacket that had waited for 20 minutes. Think about this. You're in an airport. You just see somebody. You're chit-chatting. You're like, hey, that seemed nice. You move on about your business. You don't wait at the ticket line to see what happens. He waited 20 minutes, laid his credit card down without missing a beat, said, I want to pay for your ticket. $1,300, complete stranger. And I said, I can't let you do that. That's too much. He said, no, I want to. And uh, I turned to the lady and said, hey, can I pay for half of it? And she said, no, we only take one card. I was floored. He said, put it on the card. And that is the first of many ways that God moved in 24 hours for me. Again, a lot happened in this story. I think it took me about 30 minutes to tell Bob the whole story, and I'm sure y'all want to go to lunch, so I won't go into all the detail. But this young, this man paid for me to get to Atlanta. So I get to Atlanta. I got to fill out a passport form. It's 11 p.m. at night by, night by this time. Still have to get my passport form. I have to get passport photos done, and I have to get to the office before 8 a.m. the next morning. So I got about nine hours. Luckily, it's Atlanta. It's a 24-hour city. I'm able to get all that done. So long story short, with the passport, I go up the elevator. The young ladies that are there look over all my paperwork, and they say, okay, when's your flight? I said, it's 6 o'clock tonight. She looked at me. She said, that's perfectly fine. You're going to be on that plane. All that stress. God moved mightily. And he got me on the flight to cut the story shorter. We had a great time. But the point that Bobby would like me to share that ties in with everything he just said about the tires is what happened after I got my passport. I was sitting there waiting for him to actually print it out. And um, I brought my book and I was just reading my book. And I'd like, to, I'd like for y'all to see me as a passenger on a train at this point. Because this is not what I did. This is what God did. There was a man trying to go to his daughter's wedding in Canada. 
And he goes up to the, uh, to the window. It was a lot like a DMV. He goes up to the window. The guy's behind the glass. And he says, okay, sir, we can get you to Canada. Uh, this is what you need. You've got the forms filled out. It's going to be $200. He says, oh, I got to call my wife. I don't know if we have $200. And uh, at that time, the Holy Spirit was like, get up. So I stood up. I walked over to him and I said, I'd like to pay for your passport. And he looked at me the same way I looked at that man and he said, thank you. He had nothing else he could say. And um, he asked me, how can I say thank you to you? And I said, praise God, because God is good. And at that point, he said, he is good. He is wonderful and I love him for this. And paid for the passport. He went on about his business. And I'm assuming he got to go to his daughter's wedding in Canada that weekend. And um, if you would have told me Monday night that I was going to have to be in Atlanta to help a man get to a wedding in Canada, I would have said, you were crazy. But God is amazing, and he moves mightily in many ways. Um, I hope that uh, this story in some way helps you draw closer to him, see his power in your life, and that impacts you at least a little. Thank you. Chad, we appreciate that, man, big time. Uh, Sometimes you get a flat tire because life is just lousy. Sin is in the world, and this world is stricken with problems. Sometimes Satan wants to keep you from something. Other times God wants to move in a mighty way to put you somewhere that you would never be on your own, to make you do something that you would never normally do on your own. And I tell you, when a man drops $1,300 for you, and then the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and says, you need to fork over $200 for this other fella, isn't it neat how God brings you along and lets you joyfully do something for someone else? Isn't it neat how God does that? And brothers and sisters... Our whole life is supposed to be like that with the gospel. We're supposed to live lives remembering where we came from. Remembering the sin and shame and darkness that we used to live in. Remembering that there was somebody who came to us and showed us that God loved us unconditionally, no matter what we had ever done. That he had a son who took all of our sin, all of our shame, and gave us love and grace in return. And then whenever we see somebody, no matter what's standing in our way, that Holy Spirit is tapping us on the shoulder exactly like he described, telling us that we need to dispense that grace that was freely given to us to someone else that's in need of it. If you read the Bible, you would think that Paul is probably one of the the best men to ever live. If you read what Paul says, he says that I'm the foremost sinner that I know. And so Paul realizes that he's the one who received the $1,300 gift. And he realizes that he's the one going and dispensing it to everyone else. And he realizes that, listen, they don't need it as much as I needed it because I was far worse than they were. And so, brothers and sisters, I hope that we, as children of God today, will see that God wants us to be conduits of his grace to other people. And, uh, Chad, I really appreciate you jumping in and sharing that story. I I think it fit really well. And, uh, I hope that you will look for opportunities to be exactly like that in this upcoming week. Because God has set up good works long before you were ever born. 
so that you would walk in them. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Lord, we didn't deserve it. We could never repay it. Lord, there's nothing that we could ever do to tell you thank you enough. But God, I pray that you would show us in our lives that we are to be conduits so that your grace can flow through us to other people. Lord, I pray that when life happens, that we would see that sometimes it's just a sin, bad world that we live in. Lord, sometimes Satan wants to stop us from the things that you're calling us to do. And Lord, other times you are simply rerouting our steps so that you can put us exactly where you want us to be. God, I pray that you would help us to be patient. I pray that you would help us to always rely on you for everything. And Father, lastly, I pray that if there's anyone here who's never put their faith in you to be saved, God, I pray that today would be the day that you forgive them of their sins and give them eternal life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would stand with us for our hymn of invitation. I'm going to just ask you to remain standing for a second. I just want to remind you that uh, when any of those three things happen, right? The world's a bad place because sin is in it. Satan may be trying to keep you from things that God wants you to do. And then God may be reorienting your steps. No matter how bad any of those three situations get. The cool thing is, is that God tells us that somehow, we don't know how, but he promises us that he works all those things together for good. And so no matter how bad it seems, no matter what you think inconvenient may be happening in your life, just know that God has the ability, that's incredible, right? Whoa. (laughs) That God has the ability to work anything and everything together for your good. And uh, you can take that to the bank. And so I want to remind you, look in your bulletin, there's a lot of announcements in there. Uh, Also, we've got our deacon nomination coming up. You've got some names in there that you need to be praying through so that you can vote for them. Uh, The joy group has some things coming up. And I did some quick math on these boxes, and I think that this is going to be our uh, biggest year yet for the Samaritan's Purse boxes. And so ladies that collected them and put all the, did all the legwork for that, thank you for all that you did, because I think we're going to send the most boxes we've sent yet. Let's go to Lord in prayer and close. Dr. Tarkington, would you close us in prayer?